0: Good to be with you today. Um, What we're doing is we're continuing in the second week of a vision series here at Revolution that we started last Sunday. And the series is called A Church for." And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring um, the people, the actual people that we feel we are called to see and to hear as a church community. Last week, we began this whole project by reminding ourselves that although the church, like with a capital T and a capital C, the church, meaning the body of Christian believers that are spread across the world and over the centuries, that the church is for everybody. But even though that is true, a church, meaning a local group of people like this one, like Revolution, local churches exist for specific people, for specific people. And so with that in mind, what we're doing here is we're seeking out discernment in this series about our real life, actual neighbors. Who are these specific people that we as a church exist to reach? What are their actual needs? Where are they hurting? Where do our neighbors lack goodness and justice? And how can we, as just one church here, among other churches, how can we be a truly safe and truly supportive and and actually hope bringing place and people for those real human beings that live all around us. So in week one, what we did is we looked specifically at the phenomenon of deconstruction, or this movement right now in our culture to rightly acknowledge the failings of American Christianity, and to ask hard questions about the legitimacy or or even perhaps the illegitimacy of the faith that's underneath it. And if you missed last week, and that topic of deconstruction resonates with you, I really hope that you'll go back um, and either listen to the sermon on the podcast or read the script on the internet. If you're looking for either of those things, you can talk to me afterwards and I'll get them to you. But I'd love for you, if you missed last week, to kind of be coming along in this whole conversation with us. But deconstruction alone isn't the only issue that the people of our community are facing. So this week, we're asking is this. Are we really as a church family are we really a safe and hopeful place for people who are lonely are we a safe and hopeful place for people who are lonely a quick look at the headlines is going to reveal that our country right now is facing a second epidemic of loneliness the last two and a half years have come with this terrible cost for all of us on that front During the pandemic, we experienced lockdowns and we experienced rampant unemployment. And both of those things severed many, many of us from essential connections and relationships that we had in our lives. Almost everybody has either lost someone or is close to someone who has lost someone from the pandemic. And the shift of many communities, like this church even, into exclusively online gatherings for more than a year, that shift, although it helped as best we could, given the situation, it still came with a tremendous cost as it it severed us from the kind of steady presence and support that we all need, especially when we're going through a hard time, especially if that hard time involves grief. And not to pile on, but it's even worse than all that too, right? Because the pandemic during that, that season, kids, my kids lost critical socialization experiences, which are hamstringing their emotional development. Maybe you have kids that are in the same But we all lived under this traumatizing cloud of fear and worry and insecurity for that whole season. And because nobody was spared that, nobody got away, we don't have any people among us who are still whole that we can all rely on and depend on as we're recovering. This has been a particularly painful thing for me in my vocation as, as your pastor, right? I know that my job is to be present for you and to be gracious to you and to be loving and generous towards you, to be, in other words, dependable, somebody you can depend on. But I've realized recently like, the depths to which I'm also wounded and weakened and hurting. I know, I've come to know, that there are real people in our community who are disappointed that I haven't reached out more to them, but I haven't looked for them in the moments when they put their head down and hid in their own sorrow. And the truth is I have to repent of that. It's work that I'm supposed to do. It's my job, but I haven't faithfully and consistently had the heart or the courage for it over the last year or so. And the reason is because I'm lonely (laughs) right? I'm lonely right now. And I know that many of you, even those of you who are reconnecting right now, are lonely too. Which, in theory, right, makes this like the easiest sermon of the year. Super simple. We can be out of here in five minutes. Reach out to each other, right? The the action steps are obvious. Retie all those bonds of friendship that have been severed. Host a barbecue, right? Send an email or shoot somebody a text. You know, show up on a front porch, of somebody you haven't seen in a while, share a coffee, offer to pray. All of that stuff, that's all good and that's true. And so truly, like if that is the nudge that you needed this morning to do one of those things, if me saying it just now is your nudge, take it. That's great, do that. But but it's also not always that easy, right? It's not always that easy. If we're gonna be a church for people who are lonely, we need to do more than just try and like immediately and practically respond. We need to try to understand loneliness, I think, to understand it more deeply, to understand its causes and the limits even of these things that can feel like easy solutions, which means that we need to be willing to do something that's hard for church to do, which is to sit with this, to sit with the reality of our loneliness. And then we also need to be courageous in the ways that we look to the Christian story and to the bible in order to respond to this epidemic and to that end there are three kind of major and and honestly difficult truths about loneliness that i think scripture can reveal to us that is where we're going to focus our time and then thankfully there's also wisdom for us i think about how to best respond to this need for one another and even more good news here is that a lot of these difficult truths these three difficult truths are also all present in the same place in scripture and they're present not just anywhere they're present in the very very beginning specifically in genesis so the question i started my my week of research with was where does loneliness show up in the bible what's the first time that we see anybody lonely and the answer of course is genesis 2 so we're going to read for a little bit and then we'll, we'll discuss what we see the lord god took the man And he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In time, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Before the man, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Usually we talk about this passage in context of marriage or things like that, but that's not what we're gonna do today. Here's where we're gonna take it. From the beginning, I think what we see here is that God perceives something interesting. He perceives that human beings that he has made have a need, they have a need, which if it's left unfilled is going to create loneliness in them. He anticipates Adam's loneliness. He sees it in Adam, the first man, and he says something unusual in the first two chapters of Genesis. He says, it's not good for him to be alone. And God's prerogative in all of creation is for things to be good. He says that all the time. That's kind of his refrain in these first chapters. And so the fact that he perceives a thing that is not good means that we have an issue. And we also have our first underlying point this morning, which we need to get on the table because it becomes necessary as this lens through which we're gonna see everything else. And the point is this, loneliness is not sin. Loneliness is not sin. It matters, I think, that all of this happens in the story before sin enters the picture. Instead, this void surrounding us, which we call loneliness when it stays empty, this void is part of how we're made, which means then that there is something good that is meant to fill it. It's not a defect to have this space around us it's part of our design so God being our good designer searches out a solution for us to this space but before he does that we have to put our first and perhaps our most controversial truth out on the table this is the one Dante told me earlier and then I was on thin ice that's what he said and it's this God alone is not enough That sounds hard, I know. It also sounds very much like the kind of thing that as a pastor, I am not supposed to say to you, right? I'm glad nobody's stood up yet. Thank you for hearing me out. But there's simply no way to get around it, is there? God recognizes that this person that he has made will be lonely if something isn't done about it. And the person already has him. We need more than just a relationship with God. I want to make this truth feel better for us, but before we can try to do that, we actually, I think, do need to sit with it for a minute as a church community. Do we understand that is true? Do we? Do we really believe that lonely people need more than just a vibrant prayer life and a deeper understanding of scripture? Because I don't think we act like we believe that's true. I think much of what we believe and preach suggests that God alone is the answer to all of our problems. Sometimes we even say things like that, but it's not completely true. And I think the danger is that it misleads people who are lonely and it misleads them in a way that actually minimizes what we're responsible for. It puts the burden fully on them I once met a woman who was angry at the church, and she told me she was angry because churches were full of people who, quote, just wanted to pawn her off on God. And they weren't actually invested in her on her own. And I think the Genesis story suggests that she was right. We're made for more than spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and scriptural knowledge. Some of you are back here this morning because you've confronted this truth yourselves over the last two years. Without physical church meetings to go to, you did online services for a while, but I watched the video views. You did not stick it out for very long. (laughs) That's okay. You did it for a while. And then maybe in place of that, you started these deeper routines with prayer and scripture. I talked to a lot of people who kind of went through this during the, during the lockdowns where they're like, you know what, it's me and God and we're going to make this work. And you started these deeper routines and your relationship with God grew and cool stuff happened. But without real human beings around you, your discipline fell apart after a while. And then you were left not just lonely, but ashamed. And I got to say, like, I'm sorry, personally sorry to you if I've ever told you something that led you down that path. because God alone is not enough for us. But here's the good news that is available in the story and the reason we're starting with that hard point. God is committed to helping us find what we need. He does perceive Adam's loneliness and commit himself to trying to solve it. We see this in these next verses, right? What does God do to help Adam fill that lonely space within him? Well, he gives him work. That seems familiar, right? It becomes Adam's job to name all the stuff and to care for all the animals. And this work is helpful because it gives Adam this second thing that he needs. He started with God, which means that he starts things off with the ability to experience attention and love, which is something humans need. He's able to feel God's attention towards him and love for him. And then God gives him the second thing he needs, which is purpose. So that allows Adam to have this avenue where he can express God's attention and God's love for other stuff, for creation. And so that's an important part. He's got both of these things. But what's significant in the story is that in the end, this doesn't work either. In Genesis 2.20, we read that it says, but for the man, no suitable helper was found. Having a relationship with God, having work to do still isn't enough. A job doesn't fill the lonely space around you. And in our own moment, I think we are rediscovering this in a big way too, aren't we? Two and a half years ago, many of you received a gift that you didn't even know was possible and you were delighted about it, right? You were freed from the responsibility of driving to an office every day. Amen, right? There was some good stuff here. No more commutes, no more in-person meetings, no more shopping for like lame office clothes, no more stupid small talk that you don't wanna be engaged in. And this work from home revolution was in many ways really good for you, really good for you. But it has also exposed many of us to this ugly truth, which is that we depended on our work for our identity and for our community. We depended on it. And without the office, we've become lonely. And I think it is easy for churches to play into this solution alone too. In our context, this manifests as a church that's like all about service all the time. You name a need in the community and the church is there to fix it. We feed people, we visit prisoners, we pray at the hospital, we tutor after school, and we serve on the county council. I mean, Sean's on his way to trying to do that right now. So like all about serving. And when you show up to visit a church like this, right, we are like immediately ready to give you a job to do. Either here is a volunteer where we can put you on a team or we can send you out to the city to do something else. And here's the thing, like all of that activity, all of that work is good. And churches should help people like you connect to opportunities to do good work. That's all good. But the passage tells us that it's not enough. It's still not enough. A sense of mission and purpose is a part of the solution, but it's not all of the solution. So how do we know this? How do we know this deep in ourselves? Well, I can ask you, right? What happens to you when you devote your whole self to serving others? There's a phrase for it in church culture, probably because we built a system where it's so common. It's burnout, right? Famous church burnout. We run out of steam. We spend so much time pouring out, we don't give any attention to what's being poured in, and then we get tired. But Kinney, you're thinking, I know you said there are three things. I know how sermons work. You're going to get to a third thing, but it feels like we could just deal with the two, right? Can't we just put those two things together? Can't our relationship with God be the thing that keeps our tank full? And then, you know we just marry these things together. Like we have this deep and rich prayer life and the spiritual growth. And then we come here on Saturday or Sundays. Ooh, forgot what, forgot what happened. They come here on Sundays, and then we're sent out to do good work. And, and that's, that's the pattern. But here's the thing, right? Like if work plus God wasn't good enough for Adam, it is not going to be good enough for you. If work plus God's not good enough for him, it's not gonna be good enough for you there's still something missing. And so what happens in the story, right? Well, God makes Adam a partner. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Somebody like him, alongside whom he can love God and serve creation. And for a while, these three things together allow there to be balance. Man has work, man has God, man has a peer. Somebody like him. But you also know how the story goes, right? In time, the man and the woman fall out of balance in their relationships. And they fall out of balance in this specific way. They begin to covet control and independence. And this leads them in time to the first sin, which is this act of disobedience and rebellion. And once that happens, this harmony that, they have, that God has created for them is broken. Now, for the work that we're doing this morning, the pivotal point comes, I think, here, when the two people God created choose to share their act of rebellion with each other. We forget about this, right? But they both take bites of that apple. And in doing so, they expose this third big truth, which is that people aren't alone, or people aren't enough alone either. People aren't, people alone aren't enough. That's the turn of phrase. Oh, man, you try not to read for just a second, and look what happens. People alone aren't enough. People alone aren't enough. One of the funny things about the story of this particular church is that over the years, we have had quite a few people come from real places of brokenness into new and healthy relationships in this community. But after those relationships are firmly established, they've stepped away from church and into those relationships alone. They say it this way, way, when you ask them, they would say like, well, what what meant the most to me were my friendships and I realized I can have my friendships without the rest. (laughs) And on the one hand, I'm glad about this. I'm glad for them. I'm glad that folks found deep and real relationships that they can depend on in our church community in which bring them company and bring them joy. That's good. But I also truly believe that those friendships aren't enough on their own. And here's why I don't think they're enough. When we separate from purpose, and when we separate from God, we begin to feel shame. When we separate from purpose, when we begin to separate from God, we begin to feel shame. That's what happens in the story to Adam and Eve, right? Without the covering of their previous life, they realize that they're naked, which means that the only, that they what they realize is that the only judges they have are each other. And that's a pretty big problem because If you're only subject to another person's judgment, you're subject to the judgment of somebody who you know isn't a reliable judge, who doesn't see you as you really are all the time. When we choose people alone, what happens is we build our self-esteem on shifting sands. And when that fails, when people let us down, we can end up feeling foolish and feeling guilty. And I think in our current cultural moment, I worry that this is one of the major barriers for folks who are sensing that they need to return to a community of faith, but they're carrying this shame about having wandered away for a while or being absent for a year or two or ignoring the text messages or whatever. But if we're going to truly be a church for people who are lonely, we have to be bold in ways that we anticipate that specific fear. We have to make it unmissable that there is no reason to be afraid or ashamed here. That everybody always is welcome and can expected to be treated like a brother or a sister, no matter what, no matter how long they may have wandered away. And you can't just be like, well, you know, so-and-so would know that I'm cool and that I'm not, no you need to communicate to a person that they are going to be okay, that nothing has changed in your affection for them. We have to anticipate that fear. Because here's the thing, to go back to the beginning, right? Loneliness is not a sin. Feeling it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It means, in fact, that you're sensing that something is missing in you, and you're hungry to fill it. And what's missing isn't any one thing. What's missing are those three things, wholeness in your relationship with God, and wholeness in your sense of purpose, and wholeness in your relationships with other people. And God's story with Adam is complete when he has helped Adam to, to receive and accept all three of those things. And if we as a church are going to mirror God in the world, We have to be about all three of those things, too. A church for the lonely is a church that pursues God, a church that is at work in the world, and a church that draws people into relationships. All three of those things, that's the task that's in front of us. But there's one more thing to wonder about, I think, before we close. And it ties the story together, I hope. Let's go back to that initial experience of loneliness, the thing that was bothering me as I was working on a sermon this week was, it kept coming back to this. Like, why, why are we made this way? Why are we made with this void around us, which if left empty, causes us to feel loneliness? Why even before sin enters the story, do people have that space around them? I've, I've thought about it and thought about it. And I think the only answer that works is this that space that space around you is made by and it is made for love that creation exists to receive God's love and creation is made in such a way that we also share that desire that God has that desire to love and to be loved we're like God and the need to love creates that empty space around us which if left unfilled causes us to experience loneliness and the reason for that is because love is an active and real thing it's a living thing it's what makes us living things it's not something that gets added into our lives as like a bonus or an extra it's what our lives are made from and what they're made for and we're made like this because god is like this He doesn't actually have a choice in the matter. So I've told you two weird things about God, right? That he's not enough and that he doesn't have a choice in the matter. But I think there's truth in it. I think he doesn't have a choice in the matter. Love pours out of him. It pours out from his being. And the need for it, both experiencing it and sharing it, is woven into the stuff that he has made that reflects who he is. I'm not trying to... Okay, we were cruising along, went full poet here for a few minutes. I'm going to come reel it back in. What I'm trying to say is this. The heart at the center of the kind of church that we must be is love. Open-handed, always pouring out, fearless love. Love at work. Love in our souls. Love for each other. The Adam and Eve story shows us what happens when love becomes stingy. When we narrow it down and it focuses only on one person or one thing. When Adam and Eve turn their love only towards each other, it leads them to withdraw. It leads them to hide. But God's love for us is so generous that it leads him to pursue us into lonely places. So that we can feel again the warmth that we have turned away from. He doesn't condemn. He pursues, and he makes a way, and he invites us to remember, "A church for the lonely can't forget that. It has to stay central to who we are. We need to be warm. We need to be warm. We need to be willing to go out and pursue. We need to share love, not just so that people like join our team, but so people can believe in it again. Because they forget, we forget. In that frame, I want to close by actually going back to like that most famous of Bible verses and to kind of hear this verse again through this lens. It's John 316, right? But hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I grew up in a church hearing this verse all the time and I thought about it exclusively in terms of salvation. And it is a verse about salvation, but it's also a verse about God. God loves us. God comes to where we are And he invites us to believe him when he tells us who we are to him. And believing that, believing him when he tells us who we are to him, that we are loved is the only way to real and lasting life. I think that's worth taking in again this morning and turning over this week. Do we see that and believe that? Are we willing to be a church centered on that? I'll pray for us, and then we will receive communion this morning.